As the legendary Britney Spears once said, there's only two types of people in the world, the ones that entertain and the ones that observe. Well, baby, I'm a put-on-a-show kind of girl. Also a put-on-a-show kind of girl, but in a much more anxious way. I am terrible at making eye contact. Whenever I stand up in front of people, I feel my knees wobble inward and the circulation of blood into my brain cut out. But getting to share a piece of myself is worth it. So this episode, I decided to look outward to find solutions for my inward problem of stage fright. Stage fright is interesting to me because it's a condition completely created by your mind that ends up manifesting in your body. An article from Science and Technology magazine, Gizmodo, looks into the mechanics of stage fright. In that article, it states that the fear that is elicited by stage fright ignites the body's fight-or-flight response, which is what brings about its various physiological manifestations. Essentially, it's the perceived sense of danger that sets off the sympathetic nervous system, which mobilizes the body's nervous system in preparation for something that arguably never comes. Specifically, catecholamine, 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 catecholamine hormones. <laughs> like adrenaline or noradrenaline, prime the body for violent physical action. This includes accelerated breathing and heart rates, the halting of digestive processes, constriction of blood vessels, releasing fat and glucose to fuel muscles and tunnel vision. Okay. Even though I do not know how to pronounce those hormones, I definitely know what this article is talking about. And that's why even the healthiest of us experience symptoms like dry mouth, a pounding heart, the shakes, sweaty hands, facial tics, and diarrhea. I know, embarrassing, but true. I think one of the hardest things personally when it comes to stage fright and performing in any way is the visceral reaction I get whenever I hear my voice out loud. When I'm talking amongst my friends, it's never an issue, but as soon as I get behind a microphone and hear the feedback, I cringe, which is probably not the best trait to have when you're a podcaster. And sometimes the sheer cringe factor I feel makes podcasting something that I genuinely love feel arduous. The first thing I did was try and get to the bottom of my stage fright by speaking to songstress and vocal coach Allison Love David to see what kind of advice she had for me. Hi Allison, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing very well, thank you. You want to know how I knew I immediately I would like you? Tell me. Because you answered how you were doing and you said you were doing well instead of doing good, which is probably one of my like biggest pet peeves ever when somebody, you know, like 
introduces themselves and you ask how they're doing and they say, oh, I'm doing good. <laughs> Is that an American thing? Do you think that's a country thing? Because um, we, uh, but I know that I've watched a lot of American series and fine is one of the words that people use a lot here and there. But I don't think doing good would be the way we do it in England. We probably say, well, it's wrong. It's grammatically completely incorrect as well. You're supposed to say, oh, I'm doing well. Because if you're doing good, maybe you're like working for a charity or like picking up trash in the neighborhood. First off, I just want you to quickly introduce yourself and what you do. Okay, well, I am a singer, speaker, performing artist, writer, and coach. I'm passionate about helping people who are creatives and visionaries to have the confidence to express how they really feel, to speak their heart and sing their soul so that they can leave a lasting impression so that they can inspire others and be a part of the change we really want to see in this world. Would you consider yourself a very naturally confident person? No. And that's what's so weird because people think I am. People project confidence onto me because I know how to be confident in front of others. But I also um, experience a type of social anxiety. And so it's easier for me to get on stage and perform than it is to sit in a room with a bunch of people and talk to them. Interesting. Do you have, I want to start off by saying, how do you handle anxiety or stage fright when you are about to sing or perform? So I hardly ever have it. And um, yeah, I mostly I sing every week and I don't have anxiety or stage fright unless I have something new that mm. I want to share that I'm not, you know, I, I have slight perfectionist tendencies. So it, but even in that, if I'm playing, if I'm warm with my audience, I don't mind making mistakes with them. But it's if it's something that's very important to me that I've, I'm bringing out for the first time, then I, I feel um, nervous. Well, let's take it back to when I started my singing career. And um, I did feel stage fright. And I made this connection that the feeling of butterflies in your stomach is also what you get when you're in love with someone. And it's free drugs, basically. <laughs> so I decided to enjoy the feeling. You know, so many times in life, we can feel quite numb, um, nothing, feeling nothing, but to actually feel excitement. Um, so I turned that feeling of yucky to yummy just with my head, with my mind and said, oh, it's like, I'm going to get high on this. I'm going to do some breathing into it and feel it. Um, and so that really helped me. Yeah. Just accepting the fact that like the feelings that you feel when you're nervous are also the feelings that you feel when you're excited. Yes that it's really similar neurologically and all of that. So do you have any stories of a performance you did where something might have gone wrong? Yeah. The one that came into my head is uh, it was somebody's birthday party. It might have been their 50th or 60th, but it was a decade party. It was important. You know, all the friends had come. And I turned up with my PA system and, um, you know, I'd learned special songs for them and all of that stuff. And, and when I went to turn it on, it just, the fuse blew inside it. I didn't even know it had a fuse. And I was, you know, it, or this guy, you know, when you have the decade parties, people come from far and wide to celebrate someone. And here I am, the only entertainment with no 
amplification to sing from. Um, so I was very scared, to put it politely. And basically what I ended up doing is Googling, like calling. It was past the time when like all the hire shops and music shops were open, but doing a lot of Googling and um, basically worked out that I could take the fuse out of his home stereo and replace my one. But, you know, just feeling like a complete failure I pulled it off. I got, you know, I got it all right, but I, I wasn't surprised not to get a thank you. You made my party awesome message from him afterwards. I pulled it off and everyone had a great time, but that panic and that stress and pulling his stereo apart. Yeah, that. but it helped me to remember to carry fuses with me every time. That's a, that's a good lesson. That's a good thing to remember. <laughs> yeah, but the great thing about the only way sometimes we can improve the things we do is to have a mistake to learn from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you'll never learn from your mistakes if you don't make them. Yeah, so then you'll be like middle of the road. But, you know, you may just think, oh, I'm doing fine already. But actually, you're not. So all, there's always room for improvement and it has to come from mistakes. Ah, uh, mistakes. I have made plenty of those. And if you listen to the first ever episode of this podcast, you'll know that a mistake cost me my last job and I now have been extra fearful of making any kind of misstep after that and I'm very apologetic and nervous and neurotic and for good reason because making mistakes is never a good feeling but sometimes mistakes even though they can really sting and suck in the short run, can be the keys for progressing in the long run. Anyways, continuing this conversation with Allison, I wanted to learn about her role as a vocal coach because I know that any kind of singing can be one of the most nerve-wracking things because not only are you like talking, there's even more to it like there's notes there's breath control there's music there's how you sound there's being pitchy yeah it's a lot so back to Allison what do you do as a coach so every client I work with is different but confidence is one thing that everyone benefits from working with me um, I encourage them to use their voice to boss me around and say what they want to do. So some people do want to sing. I'm not a singing teacher, but I'm happy to get, say, people in my recording studio or help them to create their own songs. At the moment, I'm passionate about getting my people to create their own mantras so that they have these words that come out of their mouths that soothe, or encourage them, or even call in the things they want in their lives and then to sing them over and over again. So if they can actually come up with their own melody, it's just amazing to prove to someone that who thinks they can't sing that they actually can sing and to have the confidence to do it. And underlying all of that for me is we've all been shut up in our youths, you know, for various reasons. And everyone I work with is a wise being with so much to offer and my job is to get them to hear their own wisdom to witness their talent to witness their leadership because when you you voice what you want you lead yeah when they hear that through talking often but 
Sometimes it's with singing and it changes everything. It changes how they set boundaries in their life. It changes what they are willing to share with others. And often it affects their business. It makes them become more visible and inspiring. Other people are like, oh, I want to know what you are doing selling. Do you have a mantra that you sing? Yes, I do. And I have many. Can you sing it? Oh, please. Yes. Right. So uh, can I give you three? They're not very long. Yes, you can give me three. Okay. I am financially abundant. I have my right clients looking for me. I am focused and aligned and work cozy flows easily. I am learning and growing and it is showing in my client uptake. I give my heart when I give my time and it's reflected in the money I make. I love money. Money is my friend. We play fun games together and I don't need to pretend. I'm coming out of the closet, confident and free, because I love money and money loves me. But the shortest one and the most current one is about the social anxiety. Mm. And um, I was tuning into why I'm always liking being alone um, and what, what aloneness means to me. And then, oh my gosh, do you know what's going on? My head is so interesting. It's my, it's my ringtone. I made it in, cause you could quickly, cause I'm quite quick at music programming. I made it into my ringtone. And this morning when it went, it's only been my alarm for four days, <laughs> but this morning I started singing it before my alarm went off and I got the key right. I choose Oh no, it's gone. It keeps going. That's why the mantras are important because it takes a while for them to sink into your brain. I keep my center. I, I, I keep my center when I'm, even when I'm with you, even when I'm with you. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I've lost it. Yeah. But there's another one that's simple. That's I am enough. 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 Yes, I love Yay! you doing that. The mic, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't believe I still can't remember this one. It's a keep my center. It may, what I realize is that, you know, I lose my center when I'm with other people. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I need to be on my own. So it's something about keeping my, keeping my center, keeping my center, keeping my center, keeping my center is something that I can do. Keeping my center, even when I'm with you, that's what it is. Keeping my center is something that I can do. I'm clear. I'm the, keeping my center, even when I'm with you. There it goes. Keeping my center is something that I can do. Anyway, it's something like that. And what's lovely about having it on repeat and using music to take your affirmations to a next level is that the music fires up your brain in different ways. And so it activates so much more of your brain. And when you know when you get an earworm, mm-hmm. so now I've got that. I think I've got my mantra in the earworm place. Yeah. And, but you know, like sometimes you have no control and it's going round and round your head. So, um, I mean, if I was to spend an hour doing music production on my mantra, it would be strong. But I'm hoping that because it's my alarm, that it will, every morning it's going to be there for me. How do you help people recognize their talent? Because I think one thing that really will make your nerves worse is not realizing that you are good. I know for me, I I hate hearing the sound of my own voice with podcasting and trying to hype myself up. How would you help me hype myself up to like listen to my own voice and enjoy listening to my own voice? 
Well, first of all, you're doing a very good job because you're actually <laughs> broadcasting podcasts. So you've done a lot, but I hear that feeling because I, I still recognize it. Like times like this, I'm fine. But if I listen to myself with a coach in a coaching call with playback, I'm like, oh no, cringing all over the place. So I think my biggest tip is to externalize. So you don't look at yourself as yourself and you just imagine that's somebody else, like your friend or a random person, because often the judgments that you're having are then, well, first of all, they're not usually yours. They're things that you heard that other people said to you that you have taken on board and we can be our worst enemies, right? But you would not say some of the things that you say to yourself to your mate, if it was your friend doing it. So the best thing you could do is externalize. So sometimes I listen to a recording of me and I say, she, she was that person or she, and with my clients, I'm like, does that person sound good or not? Is she nice? Or is he, does he sound good? Or does, and as soon as you separate yourself and look at them like that, you might find that you can't, you can't be mean. You would not be mean to your friend if they sounded like you. Because it's just, just mostly it's a lie. And so it's a lie you're telling yourself because of lies that other people told you. So it's just all about being kind to yourself and sometimes remembering yourself as a baby or pretending you're, that person's your friend are both good. Yeah, I think definitely for me right now, I'm really critical on myself. And my therapist and I have talked about trying to view my problems through the lens of it being one of my friends or even it being a total stranger who doesn't know me. I was at the pool with my friend and we were swimming and she was very self-conscious about her body. And I told her, listen, everybody at this pool is so self-conscious about their own bodies that nobody cares what you look so like. True. So you see what you just did there? You gave your friend really good advice. It came from your mouth. It came from your voice. So my job is to, for example, record you saying what you just said, play it back to you and show you just how wise you are. <laughs> I know. That's and, the, and the crazy thing is sometimes I don't even realize the advice that I give to myself. Yeah. Or like the advice I give to other people is things that I can apply to myself. And that's something with confidence that I think you're working with that really is key for putting yourself out there and performing. Yeah, any type of self-expression because it doesn't have to be performing, but it could be just any creation that you have, you know, even like, you know, I remember my daughter saying she felt anxious to play her playlist in the car because I might slag off her music and, you know, we are all very, very sensitive people. And I think it helps for us all to know how sensitive we all are. Just like the brilliant advice you gave your friend, like everyone in the pool is going, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm fat or whatever it is. And they're also self-absorbed. And, um, but if we all knew that every single one, if we could like, I have this fantasy, if we all just, could see what people are thinking while we're all pretending like there's a word for it now masking yeah I remember my daughter was at this bar in France and she was we were we were in France and we were by the sea and the sun was setting in the sea and it was an outdoor bar with food and you know beautiful setting and she and there was shellfish on the menu and she doesn't eat shellfish and she was so upset and she struggles with mental health stuff like depression anxiety and stuff and she was so upset she didn't she wanted 
wanted to have cried, but she couldn't cry because everyone would have paid attention to her. So the best she could do is do, it's called resting bitch face, you know, like just looking really, <laughs> really moody. And the people I were with, they know her from when she was, a, when she was three and a, and so they thought she was being like a spoiled child or something. And I was speaking to her and I realized that, that she was doing the best she could with what she was feeling. But I just thought, blimey, imagine if every single person, oh, drinking and eating at this bar, all did one, two, three and actually showed what, was they, what they were actually feeling on their faces. It would be a very different story. So I'm just about to probably finish this interview up real quick, just because my episodes are pretty short and I don't want to also take too much of your time. Uh, but I just want to, I just want to ask you what final thing about being confident, performing or expressing yourself, like what advice do you have for somebody who is struggling to put themselves out there? find your community find somewhere safe start small trust yourself listen to your own voice perhaps you may want to make voice messages that you listen to um, trust that you are not alone and what you have to share is super important and if we all keep hiding the world will stay as it is and most people will agree it's not great place for us to feel safe so just dare but be 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 gentle with yourself so notice the words you use notice how you mean to yourself and start there start being kind to yourself I'd like to let everybody know that that interview was in late July and it took me almost six months to finally push my limits with stage fright. One day I was feeling intense FOMO, aka fear of missing out, and having what I call a mid-20s crisis. So I booked a free stand-up comedy and storytelling workshop on a whim. Weeks later, my calendar alert for that event popped up and I took the metro up to Gallery Place to the Martin Luther King Jr. Library in Washington, D.C. And I talked. And I also read some bad jokes and giggled with the rest of the audience. It felt really awkward but freeing at the same time. We ended up having extra time left, so everybody got two additional minutes on the mic. And I recorded a little speech about my podcast and this episode in particular. But for right now, we got uh, Kira coming up. All right. Oh my God. All right. So I guess since we've already done the comedy part, I can explain why I'm here other than having a mid-20s life crisis, is that a thing? Yeah. I think that's a thing, I'm in the middle of it right now. Uh, so this time last year, I had just gotten dumped and lost my last job, which uh, you always ask the question, can it get worse? The answer is yes. So first I got dumped and I was like, this is, I'm over, this is, like everything I built up was having a relationship, but at least I have this job that I hated but at least I have this job. So anyways, all that happened, moved back home with my parents, started a podcast, did everything. So my podcast is called Failing Down the Rabbit Hole. It's about like different failures in life. And I did my first season a while back. 
I'm working on the second one. One of the episodes is gonna be about stage fright. I interviewed this kind of like kooky eccentric woman who does like singing lessons and all of that. And if anybody wants to talk to me after, that would be cool. But I just wanna talk about that because I feel like your body kind of goes into a sense of failure and I feel like I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't actually try and put myself up on a stage or at the center of a conference room in a library, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I guess is a stage. I'm looking at the timer. I have like a few, few, few seconds. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good joke off the top of my head, but I can't. And I'm trying to think of a really funny story, but honestly, like, yeah, I, <laughs> but that's okay, because that's what this is for. This is about talking, letting loose, telling stories, telling jokes, being okay if people laugh, and then also like just kind of standing and smiling, even if they don't, because uh, nothing is more important than a positive attitude, except <laughs> probably like money and love and other like forms of success, maybe like new shoes. So what? It took some time for me to finally bite the bullet and practice some adult public speaking. I did it, and nobody can take it away from me. I've signed up for next month's workshop, and hopefully I'll be even more brave, candid, and actually funny. I've now released a whole lot of episodes of the podcast, but I'm still finding my voice, figuring out how close to bring my face to my new microphone, and getting used to hearing the feedback of my own voice. It's taken me a lot more time than I'd like to admit to get this episode and my second season ready. I'd like to have whipped through season two around the same time I sat down with Allison, but the process of being comfortable with putting yourself out there takes time, even if you've already done it before, because you just think of all the what-ifs that can happen the next time. Sometimes it feels like doing something for the second time is harder than doing it for the first time. Because the first time you do it, you genuinely have no expectations. But the second time you do something, you definitely think, well, I already did this, but it could go a lot worse. I thought releasing the second season of my podcast was going to be super easy. I had already made a season. I knew more tips and tricks of audio editing. I was more comfortable with myself. I know how to ask better questions. I could get more interview guests. But honestly, it's been really hard. And kind of going back and groveling people to say, hey, listen to this again. Find something new. Find something else you like. I think I've done a better job. But who knows? The thing is, nobody knows. None of us know what we're doing. None of us know what the end result of whatever we create is going to end up like, even if we have the perfect picture in our mind. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Failing Down the Rabbit Hole. If you like the episode, please rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Maybe even try listening to another episode if you really liked it. 
For any updates, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Failing Down the Rabbit Hole and on Twitter and TikTok at Failing Down Pod. Oh, and by the way, tell your local failure you love them. Peace out.